Hi everyone, it's Joe Wigand from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park and home to the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation. With their help, we're starting Teddy Talks. The April program is called 26 Days with the 26th President. Each and every day, I'll be reading at length from some of what uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote and spoke during his lifetime. Uh, as we go through, uh, I hope that you'll understand why Theodore Roosevelt at the State Fair in Minnesota on Labor Day 1901 told the people there to speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. Teddy Talks are proudly presented by the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation in Medora, North Dakota. To learn more about visiting or supporting our mission to connect people to the Badlands for positive, life-changing experiences, go to Medora.com. Now, enjoy the pod. Good morning and welcome to Teddy Talks for May 8th, 2020. It's Friday, and I'm delighted that you're with me here. I'm Joe Wiegand, your host, coming to you from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Today, we're going to bring Medora to Bismarck Mandan. Uh, there will be a parade starting at 11 a.m. Central uh, in uh, the downtown Mandan, downtown Bismarck area. Uh, you'll see Emily Walter, the Queen of the West, uh, Bill Sorensen, the comedian magician, former mayor of Bismarck, and uh, you'll also see Sheriff Bear, a big hit with the children. Uh, we'll find Teddy Roosevelt and get him in that parade, too. So thanks for being with us. Perhaps a bit of an abbreviated version today. I'll jump right off with This Day in History. Uh, May 8th, 1541, Spanish explorer Hernando de Soto and his expedition discover the Mississippi River. Uh, basing their uh, campaigns out of Florida, exploring the Gulf Coast, and and uh, that phrase discovering, of course, uh, a little bit uh, changed in context today as we uh, realize that uh, he was the first European to report it back to uh, uh, the, uh, the crowns of Europe. May 8th, 1737, the birth in Putney, Surrey, England, of one of Theodore Roosevelt's favorite historians, uh, Edward Gibbon. Uh, an English historian, writer, and member of parliament, his most important work, The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, published in six volumes between 1776 and 1788, known for the quality and irony of its prose, its use of primary sources, and its polemical criticism of organized religion, quite a deal of uh, criticism of government and society that exchanged uh, uh, security for comfort and pleasure, uh, when we hear Theodore Roosevelt speak about uh, um, uh, manliness and citizenship and uh, uh, devotion to duty, uh, that sort of thing uh, is reinforced by his reading of Gibbon. And uh, I need to get some Gibbon on my shelf. May 8th, 1753, uh, the birth in Michoacan, uh, state of Mexico, Miguel Hidalgo, a famous Roman Catholic, a new Spanish priest, leader of the Mexican War of Independence and recognized as the father of the nation to our south. So uh, on this, the birthday of the uh, uh, the father of uh, modern uh, independent Mexico, he marched across Mexico 
1811 with an army of nearly 90,000 Mexican peasants, uh, defeating uh, the Cadillos and the Spanish along the way, but uh, eventually uh, losing a battle at Calderon Bridge. And after the battle, Hidalgo and his remaining troops fled north. Hidalgo was betrayed, captured, and executed, uh, died in 1811. May 8th, 1846, the first of two future presidents in the uh, uh, history of this date. The first major battle of the Mexican War fought at uh, Palo Alto, or do you say uh, Palo Alto, Texas. Zachary Taylor, the general in command of American forces there. Short time later in 1848, he would be elected the 12th president of the United States, dying in office, 1850, Vice President Millard Fillmore. Uh, uh, rising to the presidency at that time. May 8th, 18, 18, uh, 1877. Perhaps you enjoy uh, watching on TV and maybe you've been watching some reruns. At Gilmore's Gardens in 1877 on this date, New York City, the first Westminster Kennel Club dog show uh, opens on this date in 1877. Uh, we have two golden retrievers here in Medora. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, I'm delighted that there's so many stories and pictures and even film of Theodore Roosevelt and dogs. Uh, dogs played an important part of the Roosevelt family life. May 8th, 1884, the birth of Harry S. Truman, our 33rd president. Interestingly, being added to uh, Franklin Roosevelt's uh, ticket as vice president on Franklin's fourth election to the presidency. Uh, he'd been, uh, I believe, a freshman, perhaps in his second term as a United States senator from Missouri, raised by the Pendergrast uh, uh, Kansas City uh, uh, political machine, and uh, had uh, come to prominence in 1944, chairing Senate uh, hearings on waste and fraud in the Department of Defense and the War Department during World War II. And uh, with regards to World War II, today President Trump will be at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C., along with eight veterans of World War II. Uh, we are sadly down to the last remaining veterans of that, uh, of that war. And uh, I had yesterday uh, begun the discussions of VE Day in Europe, and really May 8th uh, uh, celebrated as that day. So uh, we want to do good history. I certainly want to do good history on this program. So uh, while the Germans officially surrendered on the 7th, uh, the effective date and the, the word spread throughout the country on May 8th, I was just looking up. I thought perhaps that uh, the famous uh, Alfred Eisenstadt uh, picture of the sailor kissing the nurse uh, uh, in the joy of, uh, uh, it was VJ Day in August that that picture was taken. But I think uh, more relief for the fact that the war was indeed over on both theaters, the European and, and Pacific theater. But uh, the exuberance of that day in August uh, reflective, I think, of how happy the country must have been on, on May 8th. Uh, that uh, picture, by the way, in Life magazine in 1945. We'll go back to 1903, Theodore Roosevelt. The previous day, his first day in Southern California, his first day ever in California, uh, he goes on to uh, uh, speak uh, in uh, Los Angeles at Claremont College, at Pasadena, uh, then uh, in Los Angeles, then takes uh, the train northward and along the coast. Uh, I'll uh, have one uh, uh, communication from uh, Claremont College in 1903 and uh, one from a uh, um, comments the president made upon emerging from uh, the, the mountains of Colorado after several days bear hunting with Johnny Goff, his guide and others, and uh, speaking to the good folks in Colorado. Um, 
when we uh, wrap up, uh, I might be doing so quickly to get out the door for the parade. So we'll see you here tomorrow on Teddy Talks, uh, Saturday, May 9th. We'll again uh, be barnstorming California and, and making remarks in Colorado from 1903 and 1905. Next week, a uh, wonderful uh, a week, including uh, Theodore Roosevelt's time uh, uh, in Yosemite with John Muir. Uh, his speech at Leland Stanford Junior University in Palo Alto, California, uh, named uh, certainly for the uh, battle we've just mentioned in Texas, uh, but also the alma mater of our governor, Doug Burgum, and during that era of uh, this uh, time of college graduations. Looking forward to uh, sharing that message from Theodore Roosevelt that day. So, May 8th, 1903, Pomona College, Claremont, California, at Claremont, Pomona, Pitzer, I think they're all together there. Uh, Harvey Mudd College, I think, too, in the same little area of Claremont, California. Mr. President, men and women, even in a distinctly college and school gathering, I know you will not grudge my saying my first word of greeting to those whom before, before all others we honor for what they did, to those because of whom we have a country or a president or any method of moving forward along the path of greatness, the men of the Grand Army. I always envy you men of the Grand Army because you did not have to preach, you practiced. All we have got to do is try to come up to the standard in peace which you set a war, uh, alike in war and peace. It is a very good combination to have the red with the white and blue uh, you can see over there that Harvard, which is my college, has the red, and then comes the blue and white of yours. It did me good to get into a circle of the higher education, and listening to you, I thought it once of football. My friends and fellow citizens, it is such a pleasure to be in this college town today. It is so wonderful a thing to look at the country through which I have come, to realize that the site of this college but a few years ago was exactly as the rest of the plain was, to realize that all of the cultivation that I see, all of the agricultural work that has been done, that has so completely changed the face of the country, has been done within this brief space of time. To see the two things together and realize that you people of California are laying broad and deep by your industry and intelligence, the foundation of material prosperity, and that upon that foundation of material prosperity, you are erecting the superstructure of intellectual, moral, and spiritual well-being, without which the foundation would never be anything but a base with no building upon it. Of course, we have to have material prosperity as underlying our life. The first thing that the individual man has to do is to pull his own weight, to earn his own way, not to be a drag on the community. And the individual who wants to do a tremendous amount in life but who will not start by earning his own way is not apt to be of much use in the world. He is akin to those admirable creatures who from 61 to 65 were willing to begin as brigadier generals. We must have first the desire to do well in the day of small things, the day through which all of us must pass, the day which lasts very long with most of us. We must have the desire and the power to do well industrially as a community, as individuals, before we can do anything with the higher life, before we can have the higher thinking, there must be enough of material comfort to allow at least plain living. We have got to have that first before we can do the high thinking. 
But if we are to count in the long run, we must have built upon the material prosperity, the power and desire to give our lives other than a merely material side. It would be a poor thing for this state and for this country if, no matter how great our success in business, in agriculture, in all that pertains to the body, we had not provided for our children and those that come after us to get what is good alike for the soul and the mind. The college and school, any institution of learning, has the two sides. I will say three sides, because now we all recognize the need of the healthy body. There is not must need of educating the body if one pursues certain occupations. But the minute that you come to people who pursue a sedentary life, there is a great need for educating the body. All of us recognize that, if we come to think of it. The man that is the ideal good citizen is the man who in the event of trial, in the event of a call from his country, can respond to that call as you responded in the Great War. Then when that call is made, you need not only fire enthusiasm, but you need the body containing that fire enthusiasm to be sufficiently hardy to bear it up, to bear it up on the march, to bear it up in the camp, to bear it into battle. You need a sound body. Then you need a sound mind and a trained mind. Of course, there has got to be a capacity for intellectual development there to train. But it is a very great error, an error into which in the past we as a nation have been prone to fall, to believe that you can trust to that intellectual capacity without training. You cannot. There are wholly exceptional people who will make the greatest success with insufficient training. We cannot judge by those wholly exceptional people. Every college should aim from its intellectual side, from the intellectual standpoint, to add to the sum of productive scholarship of the nation. And I trust that this college, that all colleges like this in these great new states, will add to the purely American type of American scholarship. By purely American, I do not mean that you should self-consciously strive in your scholarship to have little points of unimportant difference. I mean that you should turn your attention to the thing that you find naturally at hand, or to which your minds naturally turn, and try in dealing with that to deal in so fresh a way that the net outcome shall be in addition to the world's stock of wisdom and knowledge. Every college should strive to bring to development among the students the capacity to do good original work. That is important. Even more important, however, than anything you can do for your intellect or anything that can be done for the intellect in the schools, for the children whom I see over there, is what can be done for that which counts for more than body, for more than mind, for character. That is what ultimately counts in shaping the fate of the nation, the destiny of the nation in great crises and in ordinary times. Brilliancy, genius, cleverness of all kinds do not count for anything like as much as the sturdy traits that we group together under the name of character. In the Civil War, it was a good thing to be clever, to be capable, but it was an infinitely better thing to have in you the spirit that declined to accept defeat and that drove you forward to the ultimate triumph. That was what counted. So in life, what counts is the chief factor in the success of a man or a woman is character. And character is partly inborn and partly developed, partly developed by the man's individual will, the woman's individual will, partly developed by the wise training of those above the young man or young woman, the boy or the girl, partly developed by the myriad associations of life and just such an institution of learning as this. Character has two sides. It is composed of two sets of traits. 
In the first place, the set of traits which we group together under such names as clean living, decency, morality, virtue, the desire and power to deal fairly each by his neighbor, each by his friends, each toward the state that we have to have as fundamental. The abler, the more powerful any man is, the worse he is if he has not got the root of righteousness in him. In any regiment, the man who has no loyalty to his fellows, no spirit of devotion to the flag, no desire to see the regiment stand high, to do his duty and see his fellows rise with him, that man, no matter how brave or how able, is a curse to the regiment, and the sooner, sooner you can get him out, the better. So in civil life, the abler a man is in business and politics and social leadership, the worse he is if he is a scoundrel. Whether his scoundrelism takes the form of corruption in business, corruption in politics, or that most sinister of all forms, the effort to rise by inciting class hatred, by inciting lawlessness, by exciting the spirit of evil, the spirit of jealousy and envy as between man and man, and that spirit is equally base, whether it take the form of arrogance on the part of the well-to-do toward those less well-to-do, or of mean and base envy and jealousy on the part of those not well-to-do for those who are better off. It is equally evil against the principles of our government in one case as in the other. And having those traits, we must have others in addition. The virtue that sits at homes of scant use in the world, the virtue that is very good in its own parlor and bemoans the wickedness of those outside, does not do much for the benefit of mankind. In the war, you had to have patriotism, but there was but little bit to be made of the man who was patriotic, but who had a tendency to run away. In addition to decency, morality, virtue, clean living, you must have hardihood, resolution, courage, the power to do, the power to dare, the power to endure. When you have that combination, then you get the proper type of American citizenship. I hail the chance of being met by such a gathering as this, because it is of good uh, augury for the Republic to see in this mighty Western state, this typically American state, the things of the body and the things of the soul equally cared for. I greet you and I thank you. Somewhat typical and consistently Rooseveltian uh, in its preaching, uh, by switching the pages, I see I've uh, saved you some from some uh, preaching done uh, uh, that same day in Los Angeles before taking the train northward. May 8th, 1905, Canyon City, Colorado. As I've uh, explained to audiences, uh, when Theodore Roosevelt was president and he went on holiday, he did not go golfing. He didn't uh, go to Camp David and, and uh, bury himself in the reports and work of the, the country. He brought about his books and his rifles and uh, on horseback with hunting dogs and good companions. He went hunting, in this case in 1905, uh, well established in his the spring of his second term uh, to uh, Colorado. Spoke to the folks in Canyon City after a good hunt. It is a great pleasure to greet you here. I cannot say how glad I am to see you all, men and women of Colorado, and greet especially the veterans and the school children, and say how pleased I am to go through your state and see its resources, not only your minds, your fruit, all its products, 
but I want to say you have got a wonderful asset in your scenery and the natural beauties of this state. Passing through your wonderful mountains and canyons, I realize more and more that this is the playground of the entire Republic. Not only have you serious work to do, but you will have to provide for a little of the rest of us from the East and West who will come here to see your magnificent landscapes, to enjoy holidays that can be fully enjoyed among your mountains. I have been more and more impressed with that as I have been through your state. And you will see this, the real Switzerland of America, made as much a holiday place as Switzerland is in Europe. And uh, how about, uh, let's go ahead and, and have one more, uh, a little bit uh, from uh, Colorado on that date. Salida, Colorado, May 8th, 1905. It is a great pleasure to have the chance of greeting you today. I cannot say how I have enjoyed being in Colorado again. It has been the first three weeks holiday I have had since I have been president, and I suppose it will be the last, and I have enjoyed it to the full. In greeting you, let me say a word or two of special acknowledgement to the veterans of the Civil War, and to say how glad I am wherever I go to be greeted by the men to whom we owe it that we have a country to be proud of at all. Then let me say a special word of greeting to those at the other end of the line, to the small people. I have been particularly pleased coming through Colorado to see the care you are taking with your schools and the education of your children who will control the destiny of this state, of this state when we, who are now in our prime, shall have passed from the stage. I congratulate you upon your marvelous material prosperity. I congratulate you still more on the pains you are taking to educate the citizenship of the future to educate the boys and girls who will be the men and women 20 years hence who will be controlling the destiny of the state. For important though material prosperity is, there is a thing that is far more important, and that is the character of the individual citizens. That is what counts most. That is what made you men of the Civil War able to preserve the Union. It was not chiefly the material wealth of the country, it was the character of the average citizen who went into the ranks. It is so in private life and in civil life. The character of the average man and average woman is what in the last resort determines the greatness of the state, the greatness of the nation. I believe in this nation with all my heart and soul because I believe in the average character of the people. Let me say one more word here in this railway town of special greeting to the railway men. It has always seemed to me that the men engaged in the actual work of handling the railways of the country possess by virtue of their work, certain qualities which are especially necessary to good citizenship. They are accustomed to work hard. They are accustomed to take risks. They are accustomed both to assume responsibility and to obey orders quickly. And both qualities are absolutely necessary. You cannot command if you cannot obey. The uh, words of Theodore Roosevelt, May 8th, 1903 in California, May 8th. 1905 in Colorado. Uh, we have uh, as well access to remarks made on May 8th, 1917 by Theodore Roosevelt, where he's still trying to get into the front lines of World War I. He spoke to the uh, uh, Brooklyn County Republican uh, uh, organization to 10,000 at the Kismet Temple. And uh, he was uh, well greeted. It was his first time to speak to the Republican organization since the great split of 1912. Uh, he said that uh, the National Guard units should be uh, stripped down to a skeleton of only those men really able to go fight in war. He said the 
National Guard had been built up in such a way that many of the men were sufficient to do state duty, but most of those men were not fit for the duties uh, overseas in the front of war. So he thought, take those National Guard regiments, uh, strip them down to their bare components of men able to do the war, and then add to them the conscripts and the volunteers and immediately send those regiments uh, to Europe. And he'd love to uh, have led uh, a division and offered to do so. And and uh, uh, there were some in the audience, according to the New York Times, that said, we want to send you, we want you to go. And I couldn't help but think that half of that might have been in hearty enthusiasm at his support of his leadership, and the other half thinking, well, to pay you back for 1912, we ought to send you to, uh, to France. There's uh, great history in this country and much to come. We're going to go to uh, Bismarck Mandan. Theodore Roosevelt had uh, some great history there staying in St. Alexis Hospital uh, uh, and being treated for pneumonia and then a, a lifelong relationship with the sisters, uh, uh, the Catholic sisters who ran St. Alexis and Theodore Roosevelt's day. Uh, we're also going to be uh, celebrating the railroad heritage of this region. Uh, my news coming in this morning that the uh, Burlington Northern Santa Fe that runs along this old Northern Pacific line that uh, hundreds uh, of those employees, some in Bismarck, Mandan and some elsewhere, in North Dakota have been uh, told that their jobs are being eliminated or transferred. So just as Theodore Roosevelt saluted the railroad workers May 8th, uh, we've got the railroad workers on our minds. Like the truckers, they're moving the products for this country. Godspeed and God bless all on the front lines. And uh, the days are getting warmer. Uh, we're uh, getting to see a few more people in Medora. We hope we see you a little later in the summer. And if you're in Bismarck, Mandan, go see the parade today. Bring your children out, stay at a distance, and we'll look forward to celebrating with you. Goodbye. Good luck.